This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is the Old Testament lesson. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, we are still in the season of Epiphany, the season of the church year where the focus of all of our scripture readings is to reveal who Christ is, God in the flesh, and why he has come to go to the cross, to bleed, and to die. Now, in our Old Testament lesson for today, we see a tremendous picture of that reality played out during the Exodus. We see how in that text, Moses is a tremendously wonderful Christological figure. And even though it is a tremendous epiphany text, I realize I've never ever preached on that text before. Perhaps because the 12 verses that are listed on your bulletin don't do justice to this entire section of Scripture. So I encourage you when you go home to read all of chapter 32 and then chapter 33 to get the entire context. Now, in that entire context... It begins with Moses up on the mount receiving God's law while the people down below made the golden calf. At the very least, you remember this from that old Ten Commandments movie. And it is at that point that the people of Israel made a big mistake. A big mistake. You see, up to that point, God had taken care of them. God had provided food for them. God had rescued them from slavery. He had brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And in return, what did the people of Israel do? They became idolaters. They made a golden calf and worshipped it as their god. When this happened, God was not pleased. Read Exodus 32 to see what God thought. He wanted to wipe out all of those people, to consume them with fire because they were idolaters. God was angry, much more angry than when you were hiding that broken lamp when you were a child. You know, when you played football in the living room. God was angrier than your parents were when they caught you. To be fair, Moses wasn't real happy either. Imagine, he was standing in front of God, and God said, Do you know what those people you're leading have done? It's like being caught for something while you're in the principal's office. So Moses rushed down the mountain. Moses, when he saw their wickedness, their idolatry, 
He took the tablets that God had written the law on with his own finger and Moses threw them down to the ground, shattering them irreparably. Symbolizing how God's people in their idolatry had broken God's law irreparably. Moses came into the camp. He took the idol, the golden calf, He burned it in fire. He ground it down into ashes and powder, poured the ashes into water, and forced the people to drink it, to partake physically in their fake and false God. And then Moses sent the Levites out with the sword, and 3,000 of the worst idolaters were killed by the priests. And on top of all that that Moses did, God acted as well, sending a plague upon the people. It was a big mistake. And it's in the midst of this big mistake that Moses gets a glimmer of the truth. The light bulb goes on. Moses looks at all the people And he realizes that they are all sinful. They are all guilty. Not a one of them deserves to be in God's presence. God is holy. All of the people are not. They have brought tremendous guilt down upon themselves. They justly deserved God's wrath and punishment. When God said, I ought to consume them with fire, Moses realizes that's the right option. God is telling the truth. It's what they deserve for their sin. It's what they have earned. In the New Testament, Paul says the exact same thing, perhaps less dramatically, but he says the wages of sin is death. People who worship false gods ought to be destroyed with fire. People who are idolaters don't deserve anything from God. So Moses looks at the people He sees their sin, and he realizes they need an intercessor. They need somebody to take the heat, somebody to pay the price while all the rest get off scot-free. God is just. He needs to punish someone. Sinners must die. And so... Shortly before our Old Testament lesson for today, Moses volunteers himself. Moses says, God, you have to punish someone. Let it be me. Wipe me out so that all of these sinners can live. He says it this way. The people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. Forgive them 
and blot me out of your book of life. Moses knows they are sinners, and he knows they need a Savior. Can you imagine standing before God and telling him to wipe you out so that everyone else can live? That's what Moses has done. But God refuses Moses' request. God knows all things, and God knows Moses is not the one who will die for the people. You, dear Christian, know who the one to die is. Jesus, not Moses. So God tells Moses instead that their sin will be taken care of by Jesus. And that Moses instead should lead the people into the promised land. But now that the people have sinned, they'll have to do it by themselves. Moses now is the one who refuses. He says, God, I can't lead these people into the promised land by myself. I'm a sinner too. I cannot fulfill your will perfectly. They need you. They need your presence among them. They need you to lead them. They need you with them each and every day in their day-to-day lives as they wander in the wilderness, as they enter the promised land, as they conquer it, as they live their day-to-day lives world without end. They need God's presence. Moses is right. The people do need God's presence, just like you need God's presence. So God is pleased, not that the people have sinned, but instead that at least one of them has realized that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is pleased that that person realizes there needs to be a Savior. God is pleased that Moses realizes the people need God's ever-present reality among them. So God does continue to lead the people. And at the end of all of this, finally to our Old Testament lesson, Moses asks to see God's glory. What is God's glory? Is it that God glows? Is it that his skin is like burnished bronze? Is it that his throne is in heaven with rainbows and angels and lights? No. That's not God's glory. Moses asks to see God's glory, but the time for God revealing it, epiphanying it, is not yet. So Moses' request is denied. 
God puts Moses in the cleft of a rock. He covers it with his hand. He walks by and all Moses sees is the back of God walking away. Not the glory. He's not able to see God revealed. Not in the same way that you do. What is God's glory? In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us. Some Greeks come to see Jesus. Philip and Andrew come before Jesus and say, those people want to see you. And Jesus says, now is the time, now, for God's glory to be revealed. In the crucifixion, in the Son of God being nailed to wooden beams, tortured, murdered, bloodied, killed, so that all sinners might be forgiven. Jesus becoming the intercessor for all people is God's glory. Jesus, the resurrected one, being present among God's people is God's glory. We see who Jesus is, who God is in the cross where the very Son of God bleeds and dies. Dear Christian, this particular Old Testament lesson text is extremely important to you and to me. You see, you and I, we are idolaters too. Just like the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Now, I don't mean that, to the best of my knowledge, any of you has built a giant wooden calf in your garage and goes out and worships it, drunkenly playing all around it. But you're an idolater all the same. Each and every one of us has idols in our hearts that stand opposed to God. Just to give you some ideas about how this works, we could talk about our political system and how that has become an idol for us. We believe that we can solve all of our problems via the ballot box. And if we lose there, perhaps we'll get judges that will do what we want. And we think that by these things, that we'll create a perfect utopia and world here on earth. We think that by voting, by judges, by politics, everything will be hunky-dory for us. What is that except for idolatry? I mean, it is good for you to vote as a Christian. It is good for us to have faithful judges. But government, politics, can never ever be our Savior. Only Jesus can. He is the glory of God. 
Another idol that we oftentimes deal with is the idea of safety. That if we only follow some protocols, we'll always be safe. Buckle up, brush your teeth, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. But is that something God has promised to you? Is there ever a guarantee that you will always be safe? Since sin has entered our world, isn't our world corrupted and broken and thereby dangerous? We act like we can do things to keep us safe. But as a pastor, I've gone to the hospital to visit the apple-a-day folks, sick, with heart attacks, strokes, and other diseases. All of us will one day die. All of us are constantly in danger. As the hymn says, we in this sinful world walk in danger all the way. How about the idol of acceptance by our peers, by our world? We see this especially now in our young who pose for countless selfies, taking thousands of pictures, picking the best one and airbrushing it on their phones to put forth an image of who they want the world to see them as. Think that by that they'll gain acceptance, or friends, or a following. We count how many likes, or clicks, or pluses we get, and define ourselves by that. Idolatry. How about those who define their entire existence and lives by their chosen sexual orientation. Even the non-sexual-related items suddenly get changed. Idolatry. Idolatry is alive and well. In our love of money of stuff, of family, of television, of anything that is in your heart that you love more than God. That's the key, right? Love of anything more than God. And with that broad brush, all of a sudden, all of us are idolaters. All of us are sinners, and as sinners... God justly should wipe us out, should consume us, should destroy each and every one of us because of our idolatry. Dear Christian, hopefully the very same thing that Moses realized, you have now realized about yourself. You need a Savior. And Moses cannot be that Savior 
The law cannot be that savior. Moses wasn't qualified being a sinner himself. You can't save yourself because you are the one who's already fallen short, failed, opposed God. You need a savior who is perfect, holy, complete, sin-free. You need Jesus. He's the one who fulfills all of God's word. He's the one Moses looked to. He's the one Moses prophesied about saying, God will send a prophet like me amongst you. Listen to him. You need Jesus who is holy and perfect. You need Jesus who offers himself on behalf of all sinners from all times and all places, who gives himself into death for you, appeasing God's wrath. You need Jesus who's consumed by suffering, bleeding, and dying as he hangs on the cross. You need Jesus to pay for all of your sins. And he is able to do so, being holy and perfect, God and man. And in Jesus, you see God's glory. Moses was only able to see the back of God. But you know the whole story. You know who your Savior is. Jesus, crucified and risen for the sin of the world. As you'll recall, Moses asked for one more thing. God's presence each and every day as the people of Israel entered the promised land, conquered it, and lived their lives. And you, dear Christian, have God's presence as well. Having seen the glory of the crucified Jesus, you now walk each and every day knowing that he is your true God. We abandon all the false idols and the ideas and the fears of this world and let God be our God. Though we walk in danger all the way, we are not afraid. Because we know what the end is. Even though we die, yet shall we live. We're no longer afraid for our political world, even as we participate in it. Because Jesus is our eternal king, and no one can dethrone him. We're no longer worried about our safety, because we will live forever. We no longer serve money or influence or selfies, or TikTok, or friend groups, because we belong to Jesus. And that is a far more valuable thing than anything else. We walk as Christians. We live in God's presence. He's even present with us right now, as St. John writes in 1 John 5. 
He is present in water, blood, and spirit. Present in water for us in the waters of holy baptism. Present in blood as we eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus, the crucified and risen one. He's present in spirit. Spirit attached to word. Spirit which brings us faith in Jesus. God himself is present even as we walk in danger. And so, we're glad to live as Christians, redeemed from idolatry, living in the presence of God. We're glad, like guests at a wedding with the finest of wines, we're glad In God's great victory, we're glad because like Moses, like the people of Israel, like all Christians of all times and places, we have seen God's glory, glory of the only begotten Son of God, crucified and risen to rescue us from idolatry. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This has been With Intrepid Heart Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, With Intrepid Hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord, where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession, and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.